From We First and Goal 17 Media, welcome to Lead with We. I'm Simon Mannering, and today I'm talking with my friend and colleague, Dr. Mark Golston, a psychiatrist and co-founder of the Michelangelo Mindset, who coaches top executives from some of the world's leading companies. And we'll be talking about how you, as a leader, can take better care of your own mental health in these very challenging times, and how to lead with listening and empathy to succeed in today's changing marketplace. Mark, welcome to Lead With We. Been looking forward to this. Good to see you, Simon. Good to see you, Mark. I hope you're well and that all is well in your world. And for those who don't know you, you've had this incredibly sort of varied and important career. I mean, you've authored nine books. You've Your early career was sort of focused around helping people cope with suicide and death and dying and you taught at UCLA in the psychiatry department and trained the FBI and police. I mean, there's so many things that I, I want to you know, dive into. But firstly, how would you characterize this moment in time that all of us are going through, this sort of prolonged standoff with COVID that's been going on for the last 18 months? From your professional opinion, how would you characterize it? Well, I think the world is going through a prolonged trauma. And there's a difference between stress and trauma. When you're stressed, you can focus on your goals with difficulty. But when stress crosses over into trauma, you focus on trying to relieve the distress. And so we can focus when we're under stress on goals, but when it crosses over into distress, we focus on relieving it. And when it's unrelenting and we don't find relief, it's very, very difficult to really get centered and focus on what we need to get done. And I was so interested in talking to you because you help leaders of large companies with huge responsibilities navigate economic challenges at any time. But COVID is so unique. What have you seen in your work, you know, the stresses they're facing and, and the challenges to leadership outright? Well, I think the stresses uh, they're facing is with so many unknowns and so many variables to be able to contain that, in other words, hold it within yourself and still stay positive without letting the anxiety that you don't feel in control cross over into your people, it, it takes a fair amount of mental and psychological stamina. I actually agree. I mean, to a very, very limited extent, even with my great and mighty team at We First, I feel the pressure of not just looking after the business, but looking after the whole human beings. But then I often find that in a leadership capacity, you're not taking care of yourself as well as you might under these urgent circumstances. So for those listening, what are some points for how we can better nurture ourselves so that we can do our jobs as leaders inside business? Well, something that I'm a big fan of, but again, it may be my own personal bias, is I've been blessed to have 10 mentors. They've all died, so that's not a blessing. And the last one was Larry King, and before him was a fellow named Warren Bennis, big leadership person. And so one of the things that I find helpful is when I'm feeling stressed, in my mind's eye, I call upon one of my deceased mentors, and I let them talk me through it. Because sometimes we can't talk ourselves through it. And the reason this works actually neurophysiologically is that when we're under stress, what happens is our cortisol goes up. That's the stress hormone. 
And when our cortisol goes up, yes, we can do mindfulness, we can do meditation, we can calm it down, but something that directly counters high cortisol is another uh, neurochemical, actually an endocrine chemical called oxytocin. And to press in on that a little bit more, because I think even to understand how the, the physiological aspects is so helpful, we've had this sustained sort of heightened sense of emergency now for 18 months where literally people's lives are at risk, their business livelihood was at risk, the future was jeopardized. I mean, there's been so many you know, reasons to have cause of concern. What, what spin does that put on it when it's been sustained over a long time? Because I always interpreted like fight or flight as this moment in time, but it feels like it's been drawn out forever. Well, I think what it is, it's, it's, a, it's a marathon and then some. It's not a sprint. And so what happens is, and I, I don't like these trendy words, the new normal, but we're in something that, may, that we may just have to get used to. Now, it's interesting. After 9-11, I was called into big organizations and companies, and they say, you have to calm our people down. And I would also meet with high net worth individuals for some of the investment firms saying, you need to calm our clients down. And one of the things that I did, which I'm also recreating now in the face of COVID, is I met with people and I said, talk about, share uh, in your teams or share at your tables when I was brought in to do this with a large organization, share times in your life that you didn't think you'd get through, but you did get through, and they taught you you were stronger and more resilient than you thought you were, and also share times when someone uh, may have helped you through it, someone, a, a critical person who helped you through it. And I can tell you when I did this, Simon, within less than a minute, people were starting to cry, but they were crying with relief. They started sharing stories of when they used to be vulnerable, but they got through. And they also shared stories of someone who was there for them during those times. And what happens is when you do this uh, in a group, there is this collective immersion in oxytocin. Because what happens is people you thought you knew, you're hearing about things they've been through. And, and always when I ask people, how many of you feel that you're in a group of very special people? Everyone raises their hand. And these are people they've known for years. And really what it is, is they shared in a collective way this shared vulnerability that they got through in the past. And they never knew that about that person. And, and everybody started to feel, I'm in a group of incredibly strong, resilient, and good people. Wow. And, uh, and then uh, I have them select times when someone helped them through it because the homework assignment is go back to your companies and do this exercise because you'll tap into people having gone through similar times in their life. And then the other homework assignment is find that person who helped you through it or find their next of kin if they've died and share with them something that's in my book, Just Listen, something I call a power thank you. And so you reach out to those people and you say, this is a long overdue thank you, or this is a thank you to your mom or dad. And the three parts of a power thank you is, this is what you did for me at such and such a time. And then the second part of it is an acknowledgement. You didn't have to do that. You went out on a limb to help me through that. And the third 
thing you say, and this is what it personally meant to me and still means to me. And what happens is when you reach out and tell people these things, there's a feeling of just gratitude, which also increases the oxytocin. So when people feel a connection to other people and feel cared about by other people, it counteracts high cortisol. And when you counteract high cortisol, what happens is you begin to physically calm down. And as you physically calm down, you're able to access the higher levels of your brain. Because when cortisol goes up, it triggers something in your brain called an amygdala. And the amygdala is kind of like a pivot and a point guard in the middle of your emotional brain. So high cortisol leads to something called an amygdala hijack. The amygdala then directs blood flow to go to your lower survival brain and away from your thinking brain. You know, and that's why a deer in the headlights, there's literally nothing going on upstairs there. But if you can create high oxytocin, what happens is the cortisol goes down, the amygdala settles down, and the blood flow returns to your upper brain and you can begin to think again. We're seeing business change right now. We're seeing CEOs, founders, entrepreneurs show up in increasingly purposeful ways. Now, at one end of the spectrum, you know, the charitable or positive way of looking at it is everyone realizes the gravity of the issues and people are just showing up differently. At the other extreme, you've got, you know, it's cynically done, it's purpose washing and so on, and really nothing's changed. It's just sort of the latest sort of managing of optics that companies do through their marketing. Do you and your experience feel like there is a change in the zeitgeist, in leadership more broadly, and there is something shifting? And if so, why? Or do you think this is just the latest expression of, something's timeless, of something that's timeless and nothing's really changed and it's just going to shake out as it always does? Uh, I think it's more the latter. But what I'm hoping is that there will be some rising leaders who can inspire all of us. Uh, I have to tell, tell you that I'm not that impressed by male leadership in the world. Uh, I think Angela Merkel and uh, Jacinda Ardern at uh, in New Zealand, they're incredible models, I think, of great leadership. Uh, I've been on other interviews and I was, I was mentioning part of, my, uh, part of my frustration with a lot of male leaders is most leaders, but especially male leaders, came up through sports. And I think what happens is if you're a man, your leadership often gets corrupted by the need to win and the need to not lose. It's a real right. big part of you. It's too easy for the male ego to be intoxicated by uh, power uh, and money and, and being able to win. So uh, 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 I am more hopeful of women being able to take more leadership roles, but they have a hard road because still in technology companies, they're still doing very poorly in terms of being on boards of directors or in the C-suite, but I'm hopeful that that will change. I could not agree with you more, Mark. You know, I think the next era is the era of women's leadership. And I think the role of men right now is to make space for them and to work with them and to kind of overcome this false dichotomy or sort of binary idea of men versus women, us versus them, 
humanity versus nature. I don't think that serves anybody. And I think that's hard for men to do because it's so ingrained in them, as you say. And I, I do agree that sport probably has some role to play in that. So, I mean, as we look to the future now, you know, you talk about this Michelangelo mindset, which is really about revealing the truth inherent within an individual, within a company and so on, and bringing that to life. So as a sort of tool or platform for us all to move forward in our leadership capacity, help us understand what that is and, and how it can serve us at this moment in time. Well, so Michelangelo is quoted as saying, I saw the angel in the marble and I carved until I set it free. So that's been an overarching concept for my life. When I was a, a psychiatrist focusing on suicide prevention, I saw the hope inside my suicidal patients that they couldn't see. And all I had to do was introduce them to the hope inside. And as soon as they started to feel it, they started to cry. And when they started to cry, they started to feel relief. Wow. And, and so we segue, though, to Michelangelo leadership. And if people uh, can think, uh, look up Real Leaders, it's a publication, Michelangelo Leadership. So the way uh, I view it, and this is the only executive coaching I do, I, I believe that the leaders of the future uh, will engender in their people trust, confidence, safety, respect, admiration, liking them, uh, and being inspired by them. And if you disagree with it, what kind of leader would you be if your people don't trust you, they don't have confidence in you, they don't feel safe, they don't feel respect, they don't admire you, they're embarrassed by you, they don't like you, and they don't feel inspired. And then what I talk about is, is and it's the only coaching I do with executives, uh, I only work with people who want to grow into that. And tell me if this uh, would result in your, in your mind's eye in a leader that would fulfill all those criteria. They're unflappable under pressure, but they're present. They're not robotic. Uh, they're knowledgeable. They don't shoot from the hip. They're wise. They know what's important, and they can focus on that. In a crisis, they take charge, but they're not controlling. And when the crisis passes, they're able to seek consensus. Uh, they have a sense of humor about themselves. They don't take themselves that seriously. So there's a certain self-deprecating humor. They're gracious uh, in both victory and defeat, and they're humble. So when I coach executives, I say, you know, pick out some stakeholders that you trust and come back to me and see where, uh, where, you, where you can get even better. So that's, that's how we carve away and create the kind of leader that the world needs. I think that's really powerful. And, you know, I think it's also enormously challenging, you know, for any one of us listening. Is it, as you say, just picking one of them and a certain stakeholder group and just being intentional and mindful of it as real time, real situations arise? Like, is it, is it a how should we approach it programmatically in our lives to be better leaders in such a challenging time? Well, I think if you're uh, as a leader, if if you're there, if your mission uh, uh, as, uh, if your mission tomorrow is how can I make this company a better company? How can I uh, cause my people to feel calmer 
in the in the age of COVID? What can I get done uh, so that they feel realistic hope? And so uh, I think the key is the intention. And it's interesting because one of the most common things that uh, uh, these good leaders uh, do well is almost all of it, except some of them have trouble being humble. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, it is a it is a challenge. I think all of us at different points of our career always have to sort of throttle between how you process what success is and what that says about you or not you and who's responsible for that success. There's a lot of nuance there. But what I what I'm fascinated by, because you know, obviously, this podcast is called Lead with We, and it's about this idea of collaborative leadership and what I hear is that you're building, you're challenging leaders to become someone that people want to follow and, they, and you deepen the connections between them and so on. So is it so that you can all work together more effectively? Like what is the role of collaboration in this, this, this idea of the most effective leader? Well, I, I think the most effective leader is the leader who if they don't show up because they're pulled away, that the company not only does well, it does even better. You know, it's the kind of leader that engenders cooperation and collaboration, uh, uh, and not in just not just in words, but in action. Uh, it's uh, and here's an exercise that we can all do better at because uh, uh, one of the other things I talk about is Michelangelo listening, and I spoke in Moscow along with a Nobel Prize winner, Daniel Kahneman, a couple of years ago. And, uh, and there's a video clip of this. And one of the things I'm trying to teach the world, and I'm going to do it with you, and I think you'll do well. Uh, Michelangelo listening is realizing that inside people who are listening to you is someone who is listening for something. Right. And if you can... Focus on what they're listening for underneath what they're listening to and you deliver on it, they're going to lean towards you and want more. So I'm going to do a little mini experiment with you because I have confidence that you'll do okay. So Fantastic. Let's do it. So if I focus on you listening to me, I think you're doing a great job of asking me questions. Hopefully I'm doing an okay job answering them. But in your mind, you had questions that you wanted to follow, uh, and and you're listening, uh, you're listening to me. But if I focus on what you're listening for, tell me if you just have an, a different experience. If I go underneath your listening to me, what you're listening for is the trust and confidence of your listeners and viewers means a lot to you. You want to honor that trust and confidence by not wasting their time. You also want to honor their trust and confidence in you by bringing them guests that can bring them information that is relevant to them, clear, concise, and doable by them immediately. Because if you can tee up guests that bring that, you're giving them value. You're not wasting their time and you're fulfilling wanting to honor their trust and confidence. Is that true? That's absolutely true. I am always, in every question I ask, incredibly intentional about the situation that the listeners, as I understand it, are in and what they're trying to solve for. Because I do think these are acute circumstances 
and we don't have time to mess around in terms of how we equip people to elevate their own lives, but also solve for these really large issues. So it's time to get to the meat of the issue. So absolutely. And so when we, if we just revisit just quickly, Michelangelo leadership, your people are listening for the ability to feel safe in these uncertain times. They're listening for something which sadly in the business world has become a unicorn. They're listening for someone they can actually trust because it's so easy uh, to not trust leaders. You know, because it seems like leaders will often just say, uh, they'll change their message depending on the audience. And so it's difficult to trust someone who changes their message depending on the audience. It's very true. And I think if there's one thing that I'm very conscious of on behalf of the listeners, it's that I feel like we're all expected to be Olympics athletes right now when emotionally everyone's hobbled. And I feel like it's a very unkind set of circumstances, but also a very urgent one. And I think this is a unique moment in time. I think COVID has been incredibly exacting on people's lives. And I don't think that's been given the recognition or time or care that it deserves. And so, you know, someone like you with your lifetime of insights is invaluable because you really help us understand how we, how everyone can move themselves and, and their companies forward. So I think, uh, I think this is a moment that you were made for, Mark, in a sense. Well, thank you. Uh, I want to give everyone, including you and myself, an exercise. And this is Michelangelo listening. It's, it's a deeper dive into what people are listening for. And it's called the HUVA, H-U-V-A exercise. So what you do is each day pick one conversation in which you want to be completely present as opposed to transactional and only thinking about what's in it for you. And what you pick that conversation with the intention that afterwards you're going to rate yourself from their point of view on a scale of 1 to 10 according to HUVA. So after you leave the conversation, and I will tell you, you're doing very well here with me, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much did that other person felt heard out versus you interrupting them, you not answering their question, changing the subject? On a scale of 1 to 10, how much did they feel understood, which you demonstrate by hearing the other person say something that's emotionally matters to them, and they use words like, uh, like uh, terrible, awful, amazing, and you, you demonstrate understanding by saying to them, hmm, hmm, shows that you've taken in what they said. And you say, say more about the awful. And then they go on and you get a deeper understanding. V stands for how much do they feel valued by you on a scale of 1 to 10. And valued is what you're doing. You're saying, Mark, some of the stuff that you know, uh, this is the time for someone with your skills. What you've got, Mark, is really valuable. And the final A is how much do they feel that you added value to what they had to say on a scale of 1 to 10? And often that can be that you've listened so deeply into what they said, understood it, and valued it, that you can say, you know, have you ever thought of using this in this other setting? Because I think this other setting really needs what you have. So 
I would give you high grades in the Hoover exercise. Just use it at home, though, Simon. Right. Always use it at home. Like, take it home, the good stuff. No, absolutely. And uh, no, I, I, you know, I've got a 19 and a 22-year-old daughter. And I think, you know, that is a very, very powerful tool to use to listen effectively at a time when it's so formative for them and their futures. I think that's a really, it's a gift you gave us. If you do this, here, here's my promise. If you do this once a day for a week and watch the results, they will astound you. We're trying to solve for our future through the power of business at a time when we can't even agree on what reality we're in. And what I mean by that, social media and the algorithms and the sort of regurgitation of the data sets that we've informed them with has polarized us and divided the country in, in deep, deep ways. And so it makes it doubly hard to solve for our future because we're not having the same experience. And by and large, the vast majority of people are living an increasing part of their lives through the lens of screens. So from an emotional sort of self-management point of view, how do we find common ground again so that we can work together more effectively? I'm really amazed that you're asking this because I just posted a blog on Medium called uh, How Oprah Could Unify Washington. So I've got to tell you what it's about. Uh, Oprah uh, just co-authored a book with Dr. Bruce Perry called What Happened to You? And it talks about something called trauma-informed therapy, which means that when you're with people, instead of reacting to what they say or do, you basically believe that they're decent people. And instead of reacting to what that is, you say, what happened to you that this is what you believe? So what I write about in the blog is if, uh, if Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell, you know, the two leading voices for their parties in Congress, would sit down with Oprah and Oprah would say, what happened to you that has caused you to believe so firmly what you believe? And it would give them the chance to tell their narrative. It would also give them the chance to expose if their narrative isn't that deep, if it's just following party lines. And there's a famous quote from, uh, from Supreme Court Justice Louis Brandeis who said, sunlight makes for the best disinfectant. So the thought is if someone who's not political like Oprah or someone else would sit down and say, tell us the views of your party and your views and what happened to you that this is what you believe and then just draw it out of them and see what comes up. And, you know, a lot of the things you've said point to an idea that you speak to, which is called surgical empathy. You know, it really is about being able to understand with compassion the person opposite you and, and to, you know, have that intentional listening or Michelangelo listening as you say, you know, I want to bring this back to leadership. You know, as all of us as founders, solopreneurs, CEOs of major corporations are trying to work through the next year, the next five years, what, should, what role should empathy play and how would it help us? Well, I, I think empathy plays a huge role because enlisting plays a huge role. The reason being is if you can think that all of your people's minds are overwhelmed, just about everyone is overwhelmed. I know I'm overwhelmed. If my wife says 
don't forget to do such and such, there's a good chance later on the day I'm going to forget where I parked my car because <laughs> right. I had to make room for what she said. <laughs> right. and, so when, and so when you show empathy or empathic listening, which is what I'm trying to teach the world, when a person's mind is totally overwhelmed and they can't take anymore without something else getting kicked out, when you show empathy and listening, uh, which is a great way of showing caring, and they're able to share something with you, it tends to create space in their mind to be able to think and consider what you're saying. You know, I want to thank you, Mark, for a couple of things. Firstly, you take very acute situations that very few people have to deal with or very elevated situations, which very few people have access to, and you translate them to us in a way that is very actionable. And, and that, is a, that is a true gift. I also really, really appreciate you helping us navigate this time. You know, I think it's unique for so many reasons, but I also fear it's a pilot for what the future is going to look like. And so the skills you're sharing are going to need to become habitual for us rather than one-offs for that moment in time that was. Thank you so much for some time today, Mark. Thank you for your insights, and we look forward to learning more from you. Well, thank you for having me on. And I look forward to having you on my podcast, My Wake Up Call, which I hope people will tune into because I've had people ranging from Simon Mainwaring to Jordan Peterson. How's that for a big range? To Larry right. King, to Doug Conant, Norman Lear. So I hope you'll check out My Wake Up Call where uh, you'll be able to find those interviews. Fantastic. Yes, everyone, check out Wake Up Call. And Mark, again, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Lead With We. Our show is produced by Goal 17 Media, and you can always find more information about our guests in the show notes of each episode. Make sure you subscribe to Lead With We on Apple, Google, or Spotify, and do share it with your friends and colleagues. You can also watch our episodes on YouTube at We First TV. And I'm excited to share that my new book, Lead With We, comes out November 9th and is available for pre-order now on Amazon, Google Books, and Barnes & Noble. So check it out. See you next episode, and until then, let's all lead with we.